congratulations on your book. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's fun. I, I, I like the way that you've repurposed the wisdom from your show. And, you know, that's what Tim Ferriss did with his last book, right? I mean, Tribe of Mentors, it's basically repurposing stuff that he learned on his podcast. It's a great way to create content. You've been talking to all these amazing people and learning from them. And I think putting into a book is a cool idea. It didn't start out that way. But what happened was taking ideas that I've developed over the course of my career and citing them strictly from me and my point of view, that's going to get old really, really fast in a book length document, right? Yeah. yeah. So if you can find people who maybe put it in different words with different experiences to back it up and bring in their credibility, I can't help but think of it as, dare I say, a cumulative advantage. As- it is. It is 100%. Yeah. Yeah, I was looking at something on your site. Uh, let me see. I want to quote it so I get it right. I love this. Well, I don't know. Uh, maybe I can't find it again. But you had something on your site about general theme of your book was knowing who you are so you know what to be. Yeah, that's my bumper sticker. Know who you are so you can be it. Yeah. And that's really uh, at such a a core of everything I do and everything I write. But I continually find people like you who who can say things in such a beautiful way that, you know, it's like, oh, gosh, I wish I, you know, I wish I had said that. I put something on LinkedIn today that I saw from Brene Brown. She said, again, this is like one of these things that, you know, I wish I had said, but it's just so smart. She said, maybe stories are just data with a soul. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it, it's funny that you point to Renee Brown because she is one of those people who's just able to coin a concept into a memorable phrase that then achieves a level of mimetic virulence, if you will, and is easily passed from one post to another. And the fact that you are having trouble citing exactly where you found stuff, I have the same exact problem because I think we're kindred spirits read a lot of different stuff, a lot of different places. And when you become that idea sponge, it's often hard to reach back and remember exactly who said it or where it came from, which frankly is why I love the Google because you can always look it up after the fact. Yeah. Uh, The main problem I'm having right now is I get so many messages in so many different places, important messages on Twitter DM was increasingly becoming an important source of messaging. Instagram. I mean, Instagram or people are using Instagram like text messaging, video messages, audio messages, messenger, WhatsApp. And it's like people give you this information and they ask you for these things. And then you have to think, where in the world was that? This fella over in England was trying to connect with me on something and I could not find the message, could not find the message. So I know he gave me this. Well, it was an audio message on Facebook. Oh, Lord. So there's no way for me to search it, find it, discover it. I can't even see it. I can't see it. I've got to know, okay, it was an audio message and it's this audio message. You know, it's just like, I don't know. It just, it, it, it's, it makes life a little more frazzled. Oh, no kidding. But I'll put on my host hat right now and bring this back to your book, Cumulative Advantage, which the first time I had you on the podcast, I looked back, it was uh, November of 2020. We talked about your fantastic book, Marketing Rebellion. And I think I held up a copy of the book and showed you all the Ah, notes ah, that I had associated ah, with it. Well, I did the same dang thing. Wait, 
cumulative advantage. Do that and I'll that again. I want to take a screenshot of that. All right. So for those listeners who this may not be making sense, whenever I talk to Mark Schaefer, I get his book and I go through it. And then I put post-it notes on pages or concepts or sentences or quotes that I want to talk about. And what happened this time was I practically ran out of post-it notes. And frankly, I don't think I got post-it notes past page 70 in the book because there's just so much great stuff on the page. And what I'm talking about is Mark Schaefer's brand new book, Cumulative Advantage, How to Build Momentum for Your Ideas, Business and Life Against the Odds. And to say that Mark is one of my favorite follows is no massage. It's absolutely true because you are what I like to think of as one of the most nutritious thought leaders ah, out there. I like that. That's new. Well, no. Thank you, Mr. Copywriter. Yeah, well, <laughs> hey, well, that's true. I mean, because there's a lot of hollow calorie mm. thought leaders out there or yeah. the regurgitive, the kind of seagulls of thought leadership that you peck on their, their beak and out comes the same crap that <laughs> countless others have served up. Oh, my gosh, you're a poet. <laughs> oh, and I, believe me, I know it. But seriously, when it comes to original ideas or original takes on existing mm. ideas, Mark Schaefer is a go-to guy, and that's why I'm so excited to have you on talking about whatever you want to talk about. But I'll be honest, I got some questions about Cumulative Advantage, your new book, that I would love to share with listeners. Good. Can't wait to do it. Great. First question, the title, Cumulative Advantage. Now, when I initially heard the title, I thought, oh, it's going to be a book about getting out there and sharing your voice effectively on social media and doing enough stuff that over time it's like a snowball rolling down the hill and you accumulate more and more viewers and followers yeah. and stuff like that. Well, within about five pages, you quickly disabused me of that idea right. by actually going deeper on the idea of cumulative advantage and what it yeah. means. Can you give us a, a quick Mark Schaefer definition of what cumulative advantage actually is? I would be delighted to. But first, I'd like to you know, just take a moment to congratulate you on, on your new book. And thank you for including me in the book. That was really nice to, to see. So cumulative advantage. One of the problems I've struggled with, it, it's really become sort of a theme in my career, is figuring out how do we stand out in this world? How can we be heard? The problem is month by month and year by year, as I try to work on this, the problem just keeps getting more difficult for all of us. And it's the thing that we have to be preoccupied, right? Because if we're not seen and heard, then we're, even if we're doing great work, we're going to be buried. This led me to this idea of, of momentum. If we're, if we're stuck in this place, even if we're great, what can we do to get some momentum to go to this next level? And that led me to this research that started in, in the 1960s, by a very famous sociologist named Robert Merton. And I just went down this rabbit hole for many, many weeks trying to learn about it. And the thing that made me obsessed DP was in his research, he said that if we have a small advantage in our life and we play our cards right, we can turn this advantage into basically unstoppable momentum. And he started out with research on Nobel Prize winners, how they became Nobel Prize winners how they got that momentum, and then how that momentum continued to grow and grow and grow. And since then, this has been a very well-researched topic. It's been shown in education, in health, 
in athletics, in politics, in entertainment. And it doesn't have to be money. It doesn't have to be education. It could be any sort of small advantage that you can create yourself. And as I show in the book, the good news is that it's almost always something random that creates that advantage. Now, here's the part that really got me going. In all of his writings, he kept saying that we can create this cumulative advantage unless there are countervailing processes. If there are countervailing processes, there's a way to change this narrative. It's something we could do for ourselves. So the goal in this book was to figure out what are the countervailing processes? How do we make this work for us? And that's the code I think I cracked in the book. Which I think that's one of the reasons to get this book, because this is not a theoretical book. It's an actionable book. I mean, there's plenty of theory in there and there's plenty of citations that back up your point of view, but there's also some recipes in here and there's some key concepts that I think a lot of people are going to get very excited about in reading because they're very, not necessarily counterintuitive or counter the popular wisdom or anything like that, but they're raising different stakes. For example, on page seven of your book, you just have a very simple paragraph in here. I'm convinced that following the old rules of digital engagement is not enough, not nearly enough. A content strategy isn't enough. A social media isn't enough. SEO isn't enough. Being great at what you do probably isn't enough. And I read that and went, that's a whole lot different than a lot of other people are talking about. Tell me more, Mark. But but it's also the truth because all those people have an agenda. (laughs) Yeah. You know, the social media people want to sell you social media and the SEO people want to sell you SEO. And, And if you look at what's really happening in the world, all of those strategies are becoming less effective because of the intense amount of content and competition that's out there. There's one small fact that a lot of people don't know is that more than 50% of all the searches going into Google are not available to you. Google's keeping them, keeping them for their own properties, for their own advertisers and sponsors. That number is being chipped away, chipped away, chipped away, you know, year by year by year. And so even if you're doing a great job with SEO, your opportunity is half of what it was a few years ago. So the the odds are stacked against us. That's an important part of the title of the book. I think the odds are stacked against us in important ways that sometimes we don't even realize. And we've got to start thinking about how do we overcome these things? That's absolutely true. And one of the things that I really enjoyed about the book was that very early on, you talk about something that I I think there's a quote in here from uh, E.B. White, maybe, about uh, you don't talk about luck around self-made men or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And that was E.B. White. Yeah. Yeah. And but that idea that luck plays a role, you don't just say, well, it's one of the variables in the algebra of cumulative advantage. You're actually saying, no, it's pretty much one of the foundational pillars of it, but luck alone doesn't do it for you. Right. There's a whole lot of other factors involved. And one of the things I really enjoy about the book is every page will have at least one real world example of people you may know, maybe have heard of, maybe mm-hmm. don't know, but will find fascinating. 
And it starts right away with, you know, I'm a fan of The Social Network. I'm a big fan right. of the movie The Social Network about the kind of early days of Facebook with, of course, Mark Zuckerberg and the very intriguingly named Winklevoss twins. Yeah. And uh, they have a fascinating story, mm -hmm. not just about how Facebook went down, but especially what's happening right now with cryptocurrency, because these guys, if you watch the movie, you kind of feel, well, they're kind of Ivy League, silver spoon kids. Whiny kids. Yeah. yeah, a little bit whiny, a little bit entitled. Yeah. But then they also kind of did get screwed by Mr. They Zuckerberg. Did. Sure they did. But then they turned that uh, Zuckerberg lemon into incredible lemonade mm -hmm. through a combination of cumulative advantage and luck. They happened yeah. to be in Ibiza at a bar talking yeah. to a guy in the early, early, early days of Bitcoin. And yeah. now where are they? Bitcoin billionaires. Well, the yep. reason I use that story is is sort of as a, as a juxtaposition between the Winklevoss twins and almost everyone, <laughs> because I showed that, look, they, they did have a, a life of tremendous advantage, starting with living in the Hamptons, going to an elite private school, getting into Harvard. While they were at Harvard, they were in a, in a, a secret men's club, which basically there, there's, a, there's an urban legend. I didn't put this in the book, but there's sort of an urban legend about this club it's called the Porcelain Club, the oldest social club in America. And that if you don't make your first million dollars by, your, by the time you're 40, the Porcelain Club gives it to you <laughs> <laughs> because you're basically destined for success. And so you see advantage builds on advantage, builds on advantage, builds on advantage. And they keep going up, up, up. And it just seems inevitable. But very few people have that opportunity. And so we have to see look, how do we do that for ourselves? How do normal people create momentum in, in our lives? And that's really the story of the book. Yeah. And one of the great concepts that you introduce is the idea of a seam of opportunity. And yeah. I almost see that seam of opportunity as a on-ramp to rapid accumulation of cumulative advantage. Can you talk about what that seam of opportunity actually is? Yeah, I'm glad you, I'm glad you like that. Fun fact is that that was almost a whole book. Yeah. Um, that's an idea I've had for about six or seven years. Uh, and I've got a whole file about this idea of how strategy has changed in the world. And I, I, I compare this to the very, very famous author and beloved Professor Michael Porter, who wrote Competitive Advantage. When I was growing up in business, this was the book strategy. Everybody read this book. Everybody followed this book. And yet a few years after he wrote this book, the consulting company he put together to help people do this went bankrupt. His strategy didn't work. And the reason his strategy didn't work is because he didn't anticipate the furious speed of the internet. Right. His, his ideas were basically, hey, look, you, you can only have five different strategies. You pick one and you just go, 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 go. And the way the world works today is these shifts are happening, these micro shifts, these fractures in the status quo are changing all the time, all the time, all the time. And if you can apply your advantage or your strengths to one of these seams that are opening up, that creates momentum, that begins momentum. Let me just give you a quick little example I saw the other day. I saw an article that said, 
Hallmark greeting cards is ending their e-card program. Now, you and I know the whole world is going to e-commerce. During the pandemic, everything is e-commerce. And I looked at this headline and said, that makes no sense. So you dig down and you see what's changing, what's going on. Two megatrends. Older people love sending out cards. They hate sending out cards on the computer. Fun fact number two, millennials and especially Gen Z love sending out cards, but they want handcrafted cards. They want artisanal cards. So you'd say, wait a minute, this is a change. This is a shift. I'm getting a message here. If you're an artist, maybe that's an opportunity to create artisanal greeting cards, right? To start a business like that. So you have to look at these little shifts, these little trends that are emerging every moment of the day and say, do my ideas fit? Do my competencies fit? And then you have to pursue that quest. This episode of the Nonfiction Brand Podcast is brought to you by my new book, Nonfiction Brand. Discover, craft, and communicate the completely true, completely you brand you already are, now available on Amazon.com. Jay Baer, best-selling author of Talk Triggers, said, The book is outstanding. Highly recommended. A spectacularly useful guide to personal branding that pulls off the difficult trick of being both realistic and inspirational. A must-read, regardless of where you are in your own brand-building journey. To get your copy, head on over to Amazon.com and search Nonfiction Brand. And let's get you all the credit you deserve for the completely true, completely you brand you already are. That seam of opportunity, I, I want to hit on this a little bit harder because mm. sometimes when people use the word opportunity, it's almost like saying everybody line up uh, at the uh, border to this new territory called <laughs> Oklahoma, see the vast horizon that is 100% opportunity and yeah. go. Right. It's not what you're saying. You're, you're not saying it's a wide, vast horizon of opportunity. You're no. saying it's this crease, this, this it, it seam. And, that, and that's, that's why like individuals and small companies actually have a huge advantage here because we can see these, these little shifts, these little creases and go. And one of the problems, I used to work for a, you know, a multinational Fortune 100 company. Whenever I would have ideas for a new business, if it wasn't a $100 million idea, they wouldn't even pay attention to it, Right. They're looking for moonshots and only moonshots. And, and look at what's happening right now, the pandemic. It's the biggest fracture in the status quo in the history of the human race. And look, it's sad. It's hard. Everyone is suffering in some way. And I'm not diminishing that whatsoever. But it's also the greatest period of business opportunity we've ever seen. I predicted last March when the pandemic was just beginning, we would have more startups than any time in history, and that has come true. We've had a lot of business failures, and that's tragic, but we've had more startups than failures because people see the way people are learning and working and entertaining themselves and eating and teaching their kids and dating. Everything is new. Everything is different, and those are all opportunities. In the book, you talk about a couple of businesses that have really taken off during the pandemic. One is a local rancher who yeah. I believe emailed you and said, hey, it's hard to get steaks. How about if I deliver them to your door? What a lifesaver. Yeah. And I, and I really think that's what marketing is about today. It's about coming alongside your customers at their point of need right now. It's not a one-year plan. It's not a five-year plan. 
It's really taking advantage of these seams and coming alongside your customer right now. Again, I love the fact that you always give examples because that helps someone like me who thinks, you know, perhaps differently than someone who reads from top to bottom on a page. I always love to have people connected to it, you know, via anecdote, via stories, via history, whatever. And you obviously are a collector of anecdotes like that. And that's one of the reasons I love talking to you. It feels like I'm talking in some ways to a smarter, more dapper self. And (laughs) hardly. But for example, in the book, you talk about one of those people who identified a seam or a couple of people. And the funny thing is the two people you talked about were like, I love those stories. You talk about Bill Bowerman, the legendary running coach who's looking for a solution to spikes on tracks and stuff like that. Sees his wife with a waffle iron and decides to make soles for shoes and turns it into a company called Nike. Right. And that waffle iron is actually on display at Nike headquarters, like a museum piece. It's under this glass case and it's this rusty old rotten piece of metal. And yet that is like the chairs. That's how the company whole, whole the whole company started. The, yeah. One of the most powerful brands on earth started with a waffle iron. And this is kind of a personal outing myself, but I'm old enough to remember. I had friends in high school who ran cross country and they came out with this this one guy shows up with a shoe that has this weird pattern on the bottom. And I'm like, what the heck is that? Yeah. And he's like, yeah. Oh, these are new shows from a company called Nike. And yeah. uh, they're, they're really great. And I'm like, they look like waffle iron patterns. And he goes, Oh, I guess so. And you know, it was years <laughs> later when I heard that story, but it, it, it was amazing. And you can see that Bill Bowerman identified a seam and just yeah. tore it open, tore it wide tore it open. open. Creating one of the biggest brands in the world. Another example that you give, and again, an anecdote that the first time I heard it, I went, oh, this is fantastic. Sarah Blakely and her company Spanx. Gutsy woman. So for those people who don't know Sarah Blakely and Spanx, the brand, well, they probably have heard of Spanx, the brand. Tell us the Sarah story. Well, this is, again, one of the themes in the book, which I think should provide a lot of hope to people is that momentum always begins with something random. It's an observation. It's an idea. And with Sarah, she was looking at her closet and she had all these great pants that she wanted to wear, but there was always something wrong with, you know, the seeing panty lines or think something was uncomfortable. She said, what I really need is like these sort of, oh, oh, like workout pants that are kind of cut off, you know, a little bit lower and you don't see the panty lines and stuff. So she had this idea And she called and called and called and called and nobody would pay attention to her ideas. So then she got in a car and she went to all the clothing manufacturers, went to the mills where they were making this stuff and turned down, turned down, turned down, turned down. And she was ready to give up. Finally, one of these mill owners called her back and said, I'm going to do it. We're going to make these things for you. And she said, what made you change your mind? And she said, I told the idea to my daughters and they said, dad, this is brilliant. You need to do it because, you know, none of the men who were running these mills could understand what she was saying. And again, so this was her initial advantage. This was her idea. She had this observation because she was looking at these pants in her closet and she just didn't let it sit. There are millions of ideas out there, but momentum all only begins when you pursue the idea. You, you have to have a quest. Now, what was the seam? There were a lot of people that agreed with Sarah. Of course, we need something like this. 
And then she tore through the seam. You know, she, she was all in, she scaled quickly, and now she's a, a billion dollar brand. Yeah. And as I recall the story I heard too, she did the work herself, which I think she lived in Atlanta, maybe. Yeah. Georgia Tech Library and went through and looked up patents on hosiery and stuff like that to see if anyone right. owned a patent. Right. And she identified the fact that there was no one in that seam. Exactly. So, so yeah. it was very much like your example of what a seam is in professional sports, specifically football. Mm-hmm. Can you describe why you chose the word seam? And what seam means in that context? Yeah, to me, it's, it's this great visualization that you, you, you don't have to understand American football to, to sort of see how this works. In American football, there's two teams. They literally line up face to face, strength against strength. And the idea is one team has to move through, move a, the ball through this line of huge, strong, talented players. Now, the coaches are actually above the field and they're looking down at the field, trying to figure out, is there a weakness? Is somebody overmatched? Are they tired? Are they in the wrong place? Is there a scene we can burst through and take that ball as long as we can, make as much gain as we can and try to win the game? I see business is is very similar to that, that it's not about this long-term you know, five-year strategy and a 250-page plan. You need to think it out, but it's, it's also, it's about now. It's about this is happening now. And it, it is a function of speed and space and time. Just like the coaches looking at the field uh, from above the field, where is the weakness now? Where is the opportunity now? How do we burst through it in this moment? And then let's look for the next one. That's really what I think strategy is about today. The key thing there is exactly what you were talking about with that. I forget the gentleman's name who was the big business guru that everyone followed, but his his business was static, stationary. Yeah, Michael Porter. Michael Porter. So Michael Porter's business, while founded on absolutely sound foundations for a period of time, those foundations are not eternal. And I would dare to say that no business's foundations are eternal. And frankly, no personal's career Well, I mean, you bring up a good, let me just share a personal example. When the pandemic hit, I got sick. My wife got sick. I got sick. I got the disease. I was knocked out for about a month. When I sort of got out of this haze, my business was gone. I was a speaker without a stage. Everything was canceled. All my consulting things were, were canceled because, you know, my customers were saying, oh, we love you, Mark, but our supply chain is a disaster. We've lost half of our customers and our employees are getting sick. We'll call you in a few months, which is exactly the right decision. And even my college classes were canceled at the time. So I had to, I went through this period of disorientation to think about, well, what do I do? Where am I? Who am I right now? And I realized my core competency is I'm a teacher, but the world needs me to teach something else right now. What is the scene? I stopped doing marketing content and started creating content about how do we handle this disorientation? How do we handle this anxiety? How do we handle this idea where we don't know when this is going to end? How do we run our businesses this way? The content became very popular. It doubled the traffic to my site. I compiled this into an ebook, gave it away for free, didn't even ask for an email address. 
The last part of the book said, if you love these ideas, you're going to love my speech. I have a 30-minute speech, low cost, ready for your Zoom meeting. If you need to inspire someone, you know, your leadership team, give me a call. Boom. That's the theme. Everybody is sick of these stupid Zoom meetings every week. And they're looking for someone to inspire people and pep them up in this depressing time. By July, I was having record months. Now, that is not going to be a strategy a few months from now. The seam's going to close. But I saw that opportunity and just went for it with all my might and all my power to see what would happen. And boom, the seam opened up and I saved my business. Well, as you can see with that anecdote right there, Mark Schaefer is one hell of a running back when the play is broken and yards <laughs> need to be made. That's oh. right. Oh, wow. I mean, and this is just part of what we're going to be talking about in next week's episode, but I do want to give listeners an opportunity to figure out how they can connect with you. Is there a website or social channel that you prefer where people can connect with you? Yeah, the best place to find me is my site, which is called businessesgrow.com. I've got a, a blog there. I give away all my best ideas. Uh, podcast. You can find my books. You can find my social connections. And I'd love to hear from you and see you there. And I'll go on to say that if you want to learn more about Cumulative Advantage, Mark's new book, go to businessesgrow.com slash cumulative dash advantage. And you can get a whole lot of free stuff there, including a free book chapter that you can download straight from the website. So what's your excuse? You don't have one. Go to businessesgrow.com slash cumulative dash advantage and get that book chapter because I guarantee you once you read that first chapter you're going to go out and get the book and by the way where can people get this book generally on Amazon Barnes and Noble and some of the other stores have it too so you can get it just about anywhere thanks again Mark for being in this episode of the nonfiction brand podcast but the beauty of the nonfiction brand podcast is I get a guest for an hour and turn it into two episodes so Mark is going to be back next week with even more about his new book, Cumulative Advantage, and whatever else we want to talk about. So please check in with next week's episode as well. For the Nonfiction Brand Podcast, I'm DP Knutin, and he is... Mark Schaefer. And we'll be talking at you again next week. Bye-bye.